Welcome to Bad Science, the show that breaks down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing 2015's In the Heart of the Sea. So I'll ask about whale oil, whaling ships, and if whales really actually blow blood. But first, a short word from our sponsor. Bad Science Did the movie get it right? Bad Science Or will we have to fight? Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. Our first guest is an actor and writer you might know from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, The Late Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he's got a new comedy special out on YouTube right now called Six Parts. Welcome back to the show, Danny Jollis. Hey! Danny, it was such a long time. It's been so long since we've spoken, Ethan. How have you been? I've been great. Always uh, excited to talk to you. I have to point out Six Parts on YouTube. I watched it. I loved it. Everybody should see it. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, to everybody listening, it is a free special you know it's basically impossible for me to make money off this thing at this point you know i wanted to just give uh give it to people give them the opportunity to see it and then uh, take away any possible reason you have not to give it a chance so give it a shot i love it i love that you did that people can have access to it all around the world and speaking of all around the world, our next guest is coming to us from a remote volcanic island, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she is the president and director of the Center for Cetacean Research and Conservation and the principal investigator for the Cook Islands Whale Research Project. Welcome to the show, Nan Hauser. Kirana from Rarotonga. Thank you very much. I'm really pleased to be here. Oh, absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for doing it. And I saw some of your island on the 60 Minutes clip that you were on, and it just seems like a dreamscape. It seems like paradise. So can you can you tell me a little bit about Rarotonga? And I assume you're still living there? I am. I'm in Rarotonga right now, and we don't have a traffic light, and you never have to wear shoes, and most people don't use silverware. So it's a very remote, beautiful place. Of course, there's always a price to paradise. Um, we do love it here. And I apologize often that we right now are very naive about COVID because we are COVID free. We never, knock on wood, got COVID-19. So we live a very free life here. It's very strange to watch the rest of the world going through the most horrendous time ever. Yeah, I mean, that's extraordinary and odd and puzzling. I mean, what's the closest landmass to you? Is it New Zealand? Yes, pretty much. New Zealand is um, kind of a base for us. It's still a four-hour flight. And okay, so if Danny and I want to visit you, which I assume we're going to be doing in the weeks to come, uh -huh. we fly to New Zealand and then can we fly to Rarotonga? Do we take a boat? Should we row like the people in this movie and end up eating each other? Or what's the recommended transport? Well, <laughs> there was an Air New Zealand flight from... Los Angeles, but no more. And um, actually, no one can come in right now. You can only come in if you have permanent residency or a work permit or you are a local. Mm. It's very strict to come in. So we don't have any bubbles open yet. We're talking about it, but it's very scary to think about opening a bubble and bringing COVID to a place where we have very little medical care. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Although, of course you would falsify some papers for Danny and I and say that we're helping you, you know, conserve whales. Oh, sure. 
Um, okay, well, today we're talking about In the Heart of the Sea. So we're, we're going to pick it apart today. But, you know, we got to hear from our resident movie critic, Danny Jollis. Danny, what's your take on this? <laughs> you know, I've tried to, in my, in my elder years that I'm in, I've tried to be nicer towards art. So I will say this. This thing struggled mightily throughout. Uh, there is some accent work that is uh, truly astounding. Uh, yeah. Some real trouble with the accents uh, being had by many members of the cast, but one specifically uh, just all over there. Yeah. It's a slow movie. I mean, it's just slow. It's 50 minutes till we see the whale. Yeah. That is a long time to go without our, some would say, main character. At least villain. Yeah. Yeah. And the main, the actual, I would say, main character is the one that you were referring to with the accent work, which was a, certainly an element that took me out of the movie several times because he's supposed to have this uh, Nantucket, I guess, accent or like Northeastern. To me, it sounded very like a, a Boston accent because I spent some time in Boston and it was just kind of at random. It was just every now and then there'd be like a really heavy boston word but the rest of the sentence is like australian very clearly australian no i you know i i went to nyu for i took accent classes and one thing you learn is like you do not want to go that you want to try to go with an accent that's closer to your natural accent because it's so much easier to slide into mm. and when you go australia to like to new england like of old so it's even stronger than it is now it was, it's just too far. Somebody should have stopped it. Some, I, I was telling you, I was like, somebody should have just stopped him because he's a good actor. Oh, yeah. Clearly, the man has done mm -hmm. phenomenal work. It's like, just stop him. Let him be an Australian whaler and let's all move on and have ourselves a good movie. But oh, boy, he was all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I would have much preferred an Australian whaler as well. But, you know, we can save it for In the Heart of the Sea too. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> We definitely want to make another one of these. <laughs> yeah, we, specifically, you and I. Mm -hmm. So this movie, if you haven't seen it, it's based on the true story of the ship, the Essex, which inspired Herman Melville to write Moby Dick, uh, which is probably a story we're all somewhat familiar with. So I wanted to ask you not just about the inaccuracies of the movie or of whaling, but yeah, did any inaccuracies stick out to you as far as like whaling of that time period? Because from what I could research, it seemed like the movie did follow the actual true story pretty coherently. Um, well, not, not really. I mean, the beginning, yes, maybe. Okay. What, like I mentioned before, the life of a whaler is fascinating. And the images of that were very accurate. Mm. And to me, that was interesting because, believe it or not, I have a relative, a female relative who died in 1850, and she's buried here. And she was a female whaler. Now, get into that. So Whoa. I tried to picture her. Um, she left New Bedford in 1845, and then she died in 1850. But she spent five years on a whaling ship with ruffians like that. And it was not a happy whaling ship. They were hung by their thumbs and put in shackles and this and that. So I was fascinated by that part of it. And yes, there were inaccuracies. Um, the beginning, I was hopeful. I was hopeful for the film, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think we all were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went in with a good attitude, I swear. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I, I got to double back for a second. Did you say they were hung by their thumbs a second ago? Yes, they were hung by their thumbs. It's in the logbook of the Harrison. And put in shackles. I mean, they were not treated well. And, they, you know, they tried to, to have mutinies and they were always getting in trouble. And they're pretty rough, rough guys. They had to be. Yeah. I mean, it seems like because these whaling ships, 
at least from the accounts that I was reading about or or they speak about in the movie, go out for years at a time. Yeah. So I, I have to imagine that the living conditions are just awful. Awful. Like very little fresh water, bathing and all that kind of stuff, but just ruffian smoking and swearing and drinking. And I mean, pretty bad energy to go kill whales anyway, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Definitely. Why hung by your thumbs? That seems like such a silly way to hurt someone. <laughs> They're strong. I have to Google that one. Strange choice. Yeah, it seems like you're gonna shack. Like I get shackling somebody, I get like, tor- but like hung by their thumbs just seems so stupid. Maybe it hurt. Well, but you wouldn't want to put them out of commission. I know, right? You wanted them to work. Yeah, these are your workers. You wouldn't want to hurt their hands. The one thing they need. Right. I was gonna say, yeah, that would take me totally out of commission. You hang me by my thumbs for five minutes, and I'm out. I'm out for months. Maybe thumbs are strong. <laughs> Maybe that's better than crawling inside the head of a sperm whale, okay. like they made the kid do in the film. Yeah, I have to ask you about that, because for one thing, they said that it stinks in there, like they couldn't stand the smell uh-huh. inside the whale, so I want to know why that is. And then there is also a quote when he goes inside the whale that he says, what's in there is is worth way more than what we're boiling down. And I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, well, because the spermatoceti in the head is the finest oil, the finest oil, uh, you know, ever created. So the spermatoceti is fine, fine, you know, it was used in lighthouses and machinery and very delicate things, watches. Yeah, I mean, we should probably explain this a little bit uh, once again. If you haven't seen it, in the intro, they're talking about how once they figured out that whale oil could light our cities, you know, it became a huge commodity. And Nantucket specifically was dominating... I guess, the whale oil world market. So, yeah, can you explain, like, why? I mean, I hope we don't still use whale oil, but this was somewhat new information for me. Like, we were just relying on whale oil for for years, I guess. Oh, definitely. I mean, lighting the the streets of London, you know, and the world, really. And this was highly sought after in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century. I mean, it was used for candles and soap and different machinery, like I mentioned, cosmetics, different lubricants and oils, weatherproofing and waterproofing, um, rustproofing. It was just used for all kinds of amazing things. And it wasn't until... In the film, they say 1850, but it's more around 1859 when they discover that um, petroleum is in the ground. And that actually did help stop. Well, after they just about wiped out the whales, they turned to petroleum and they stopped killing whales. And how terrible was that line at at the end, by the way? Can we all take a second to appreciate (laughs) just how horribly stupid that ending line was when the guy's like, well, you know. Oil in the ground. Oil in the ground. Oh, I hated that line. Yeah, they ended the movie on that. That was our big closer. Yeah. To me, the line was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And then the movie's over. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. I have to ask about whale attacks in general. Obviously, this whole movie and, and... Moby Dick as well. It's like all centered around a specific whale, a white devil whale, quote unquote, that's attacking and and sinking huge ships and and killing a bunch of men. And there were a handful of accounts of whales attacking and sinking boats, uh, especially in that time period. So is that like a natural whale move? Like if we're encroaching on their turf, are they going to defend themselves in that way? Or or is that truly a a rarity? Well, it's it's not as common as you think. 
but it does happen. And, you know, it's kind of, you kind of feel like uh, nature has a voice, you know, <laughs> and they, and it has to speak up sometimes. And yes, sperm whales are known for ramming boats. I've been lifted up and pushed by humpbacks. Um, usually a female that's being pursued by a male and she's pissed off and she just comes and she has to take it out on someone, but um, not to the point where it would break the boat in half. But think about it. Sperm whales have the largest brain of any animal ever. Hmm. I mean, it's about five times heavier than, than ours and it's huge. So they're very smart. And if they're being harpooned and seeing their family being harpooned, their relatives and their species being destroyed, they have emotions just like we do, all whales do. And if they get angry enough, they will ram a boat. Absolutely. Wow. And it's funny because when I first started being underwater with sperm whales, I was terrified. Not with any other species of whale, but with sperm whales, I was just careful. Were there close calls? Did they yell at you with those, uh, you know, no. whale calls? No. No, but they clicked me, of course, with their codas. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're just echolocating on you. I mean, we're these uncoordinated little guys in the water, you know, with a snorkel and mask on. So they don't know what we are. Right. So they're just checking us out. How intelligent, because I know like a dog can get up to like a two-year-old level. How intelligent can a whale get as far as like recognition and, and memory and stuff? We did a bunch of metacognition studies on dolphins, and it was very, very interesting about what they could remember, even after many, many years. So dolphins are very intelligent. They've displayed that. and. Certain species of whales, I think, are smarter than others. Definitely have like a almost a different vibration of intelligence. But sperm whales and humpbacks are very, very intelligent. And I can honestly say that the incident that I had with the humpback that pushed me away from the tiger shark, that was a, a 10 and a half minute encounter. So that whale was, his eye was wide open. He was watching me every second, trying to tuck me under his pectoral fin and push me through the water. And then four days later, another whale that was there at the same time who was tail slapping a tiger shark, she swam up to the boat and spy hopped right next to me until I got in the water. And then she disappeared and came right up underneath me with her peck fins literally around me on both sides. Just I felt like she was checking me out, checking to make sure I was okay. She remembered the boat. She remembered me. And I think that she had, it's all on film or I would never believe it. I'm a scientist. This stuff, you know, <laughs> it's hard for me to even talk about it because people go, oh yeah, she's a whale hugger. Well, <laughs> what's so ironic about this is that the whale actually hugged me that day. It was my birthday. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I was shocked. And she kept spinning around and then she just sort of stuck with our boat for a couple of hours and we followed her offshore. But then a year and a half later, when the other whale who did push me for 10 and a half minutes through the water from the shark, when he came back here and he stared at me on the side of the boat and I got in and he nuzzled me, he recognized me. He remembered that encounter. He knew, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, his intelligence was so incredible. I, it, it blows me away. I didn't even tell people for a long time because I was afraid they'd think I was a bad scientist, but you know, since COVID hit, I'm deciding just to, to show people how very cool these animals are. And we've got this reset button for nature right now. Let's take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, incredible stories. And, and it's very moving for me as well. And I'm glad that you're being open and telling people about it. And on behalf of the entire scientific community, you are a great scientist. Oh, thank you. Don't worry about that. Thank you. <laughs> 
I wanted to also ask about this whale blowing blood uh, scene. Yes. Is that a accurate uh, depiction of, of what happens, I guess, once they're harpooned or once they're injured? Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Yes, once they feel that harpoon and they get the blood in the lungs and they start to bleed out, yes, they definitely blow blood. Wow. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, that was that was an intense scene for me. I was I was hoping that you would tell me it was a uh, fiction. No, it's horrendous. Yeah, are we now doing a better job? Because I know for a long time we were just massacring whales at intolerable rates. Yeah, but there have been right like efforts to save the whales. Uh, I mean, I remember them from when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, so has that been doing a good job of conserving their numbers? Yes and no. Um. We really took so many humans, not we. We humans took so many whales. And then there was the illegal Soviet whaling that went on that took millions of whales also from the Southern Hemisphere. So, yes, whaling has slowed down. The Japanese are no longer members of IWC, the the International Whaling Commission. Um, And they're not killing whales in the Southern Hemisphere, but they are killing whales in the waters of Japan. So that's still going on. Um, There are certain countries that do still kill whales. But um, the thing that we really have to worry about now is not just killing whales. It's we're killing whales by polluting the oceans. So, you know, they're ingesting PCBs and DDT and all the organohalogens that are fat soluble. So they build up in their blubber. And then if they do get pregnant, because it does affect their reproductive system, and they give birth, then they're downloading these toxins to their young because the only way you can get rid of these fat soluble chemicals is to breastfeed and it crosses over the mammary shield so we're they're feeding their newborns poison yikes um terrible so (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm sorry atrocious no no (laughs) no uh you can ask the question you gave him the answer it's on ethan if anybody (laughs) Yeah, I will take the blame uh, for all of the our our species. Unfortunately, <laughs> here's hopefully a more a more positive, fun thing to think about. There's a a scene where they finally find the whales because a captain from the Santa Maria makes a cameo in this movie and uh, tells them where to find them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that never came back in any way. No, it was just like a name drop moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like why? <laughs> I don't know. So they find these whales and there's like hundreds of them hanging out. And somebody mentions that like, oh, they went there to hide because, you know, the humans were like after them in some other habitat. And so they like swam out to this area to kind of be safe and chill. So my question is like, is that a natural move? Like do whales just migrate to where they think, you know, oh, maybe we'll be left alone over here. Now let's all hang out, you know, hundreds of us in this what kind of whale community no very cool talk to you next time (laughs) (laughs) no i mean they they do their they do their thing and i mean i suppose they were out there and the whales that were closer to shore were had been killed or were going about to be killed but their numbers were going down so yeah they just happened to be a bigger group and this yeah there was an aggressive sperm whale out there not surprisingly what are the size of the of the groups then? Does a whale just kind of like hang out with their kin? Because I I was hoping that we you know that that part was accurate that that hundreds of whales just all hang out like a little city of whales sounded cool to me. Well, uh, hump, uh, sperm whales do. Sperm whales do tend to hang out, but not not in groups that big. Mm. But um, it's called a lek, and mm. the the females will hang out with the younger animals, including the males. But then the males go off for years. 
and they are all together in larger groups um, closer to the poles. And um, they're not allowed to come down and mate until they're older. I mean, I've seen huge groups of sperm whales, but not hundreds. And you said they're called a, a lek of whales? Like they're, a group? They're called a lek. Yeah, it's a, it's a hmm. funny term. Who, who came up with that phrase? Who's responsible for that? For the lek, L-E-K? Yeah, yeah who came it, up with this? It's lek, it's lek mating, I don't. I'm looking it up. Them. I'm looking it up. I'm so curious. This is yeah. This is where I get hung up. We need the origin. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, can can we briefly also touch on being deserted? Like, there's a large chunk of this movie where they are just out to sea without food without water i think so they said half a cup of water a day per man yeah and they were out there for 90 days and they had to row like 3000 miles so i don't know i i just i was shocking to me that anybody survived this yeah. they they had to resort to eating each other so i have a lot of questions on this as far as like if you have tips for being stranded either on a boat or on an island he said that they ate the heart first would that be your move? What would you eat second? She's a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't be more you further removed from cannibal. She's a, she's <laughs> so far. This is gonna be a I big mean, stretch here. Man, I come. I live in a cannibalistic society here. You have to. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah, and so yeah, a lot of times they did eat the heart first because you would take on the attributes of that person if you ate their heart. But they also ate like the little space between your thumb and your forefinger. That was a delicacy, and your cheeks and your inner thighs. Is also, yeah, wow. we're delicacies. But um, so it's you know, in in the real story, because um, you know that I, I don't I, I'm not sure that the director of the film read this carefully, because Chase actually did. He wrote a book. Chase wrote a book about it, about what really happened. Mm -hmm. And so none of these things were all that accurate. He wrote this book and published it in 1821. So what was ironic is that Chase's son was on the same ship as Melville, and he gave him a copy of his father's book. And, you know, eight people lived through this out of 21. There wasn't just this one that, that lived. I don't know why they really um, chose, oh gosh, who did they choose? What was his name? I can't remember now. The um, man that Nickerson. tells the story. Uh, yeah, Nickerson. Yeah. So it wasn't Nickerson's account that told the story, um, but it was in the in this film. And he talked about this dark secret and spoken in whispers and all that kind of stuff. But there were other accounts that were accurate of what really happened. And there were things like when the Essex sank, it took days before the crew totally abandoned the wreck. It, you know, in the movie, it went down right away. So they had time to get supplies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I, like, as you know, the whale was never seen again after the sinking of the boat. So that was all made up too. So the crew stripped the island of its resources when they landed on the first island and they took enough to finish the journey. So it's a little odd that the whole cannibalism drawing sticks thing. I mean, I think there was some cannibalism, but not the way that they portrayed it in the movie. And also Henry Coffin, they made him look so bad. And remember, he was the captain's cousin. Yeah, kind of a, a bratty wimp, if you will. Yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't in the movie, but he wasn't. And they did a great disservice to him. He wasn't really terrible. <laughs> hmm. He was like an awfully rude move. <laughs> the other thing that was kind of crazy is that, you know, nearly every member of the crew 
that lived went back to sea and they did go back to whaling. I mean, within months they went back to sea and Chase did too. Wow. Chase did too. And so, you know, this whole PTSD thing about, you know, that was, that was um, Hollywood. Well, I'm sure they were all quite shaken by the whole event, but it wasn't as dramatic and there was no whale chasing them and they did have enough to supplies because what they, the way they portray it in the movie, they would have all been dead, obviously with no food and a half a cup of water a day. Come on now. (laughs) Now, can I ask a question? You can ask as many as you want, Danny, please. Oh, thank you. Um, This whale in this film appears to be uh, gigantic. Uh, How big is the biggest of that whale? How much of an exaggeration did that size seem to you? (laughs) Well, most um, sperm whales are not even near 95 feet or 85 feet. I mean, the longest, most of them are not larger than 65 feet, which is 20, 20 meters. And so I think the record ever reported was possibly 85 feet, but I'm not even sure if they have, you know, proof of that. So they, they're big animals. They're bigger than humpbacks, but they're 95 feet, no way. And when you look at it in the film next to the ship, I mean, and the boats, you're just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. You know, a blue whale? Yes, a blue whale. Got it. I mean, the largest blue whale is 110 feet, two inches, but um, not a sperm whale. Mm-hmm. This is what I like to hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't believe there was so much more wrong with this movie. I started this morning just being like, oh, actually, a lot of this is true. But now I'm I'm right back to when I was actually watching it thinking this is insane. No, I knew <laughs> that whale was too big. Even I knew, even I was like, that that, that don't make no sense. That wheel's too big. <laughs> that don't jig out. That don't make no sense. Mm. <laughs> you know, the the other thing that was kind of weird is that uh, apparently, uh, I think they called it this whale Mocha Dick, not Moby Dick. And because it was brown and, you know, we do, we have seen albino sperm whales, really rare, really, really rare, and usually smaller than, than um, colored whales sperm whales, which they're mostly black. But so they decided in this movie that they were going to give him color and make his head whiter because um, they had tried to use an albino white whale and it was just too fake and too um, nice looking, too beautiful. They didn't want it to be beautiful. They wanted it to be, you know, the demon. I mean, yeah, it seemed pretty demonic to me. That thing was rude. Did it? Did it seem demonic to you? <laughs> it seemed like it was I mean... just living its life. I, I felt I felt no... <laughs> This movie, man. I, I had no clue who I was supposed to be rooting for. I yeah, was, that's true. <laughs> I agree with that. Very unclear who I was supposed to root for. Yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I have another question, and this one's really important. Kick it. Um, the Loch Ness monster. Scale of one <laughs> to ten. Where are we at on on possible that it exists? Oh God, are you asking me that? Yes. Yeah. You're an expert. Okay. No one I, asks me anything. I've been there. I've been. I've been there, and it's fun to sort of imagine it. Mm-hmm. And um. The photographs, I'm not convinced of the photographs, so I'll give it a one. Ooh, that Ouch. low. Damn, that hurt. That's real low, Danny. Sorry. No, I, listen, you know, you ask, you get an answer. I, I, I knew what I was getting into, um, and I appreciate <laughs> the honesty. I, it's what I wanted. Um, I don't know. It's always been one that I've been like, ah, oh, yeah, it's, it could be something deep down there. I mean, we she didn't know. say zero. Well, I gave her one to ten. That was a basically a zero. That that, oh, that was that was yeah. uh, that was that was basically that was that was a pretty hard no. But it's okay. That's true. I forgot it was one to ten. No, um, I gave it, I gave it a one. That that means possible. That was a possibility. Okay. Right. Although I just had to say that when my one my oldest child 
um, was young, we were going to um, a friend's christening and he asked me what it was about. And I said, it's about you believe in something, you're committing yourself to believe in something. And he gets a serious look on his face and he shakes his head and he goes, I believe in something. And I said, okay, good. What? And he goes, I believe in the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> so you can talk to him. He's forty-four yeah. now. Well, I'm I'm in my I'm in I'm in my thir- I'm a thirties-year-old man, and I still uh, very much uh, like to think I'm a, I'm a good uh, I'll go along with a conspiracy for X amount of time. But then it's gotten so silly these days. Conspiracies. It's ruined the good name of conspiracies. Oh, they've ruined yeah. the good. Yes. They've ruined. They've ruined a once noble thing to be into. It used to be a noble thing to be in conspiracies, and these these kids are ruining it with their ridiculousness. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they're not just kids; they're they're adults too. <laughs> I know it's actually mostly older people. It's mostly these older people. It's these old, old. It's, it's people my parents' age who were like, "Be careful of video games; they'll warp your mind." Who now are like, well, "What if there's a man?" It's like you guys are the ones. You got you got suckered in. It'll come back around. Conspiracy <laughs> conspiracies will be cool again, Danny. I'm trying to. I'm I'm literally working on a joke about this right now because I'm like, we got to bring back the good name conspiracy theory. So I, I I'm really upset about it. Yeah, we got to start conspiracies that are just like really reliable and like it actually checks out and it's just That's interesting and be. cool. By the way, in the middle of this whole in, in the middle of this whole pandemic, aliens were they dropped a whole alien bomb in the middle. Nobody even paid attention. Right. Yes, it's true. Oh. I was paying attention. Well, I, I thought the alien was in this place in Washington, D.C. Yeah, you're right <laughs> about that. <laughs> we had a freak alien running our country for four Truly. years. It was terrible. What a time. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you're absolutely Please. correct. This is, this is the right crowd for that kind of, that kind of humor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, science podcast, you're, you're safe. Yeah. The, man, the um, man who spent the past year saying science isn't real, I assume you don't care for him. Nan, you you were mentioning earlier that you're preparing to put a mask on for the first time. Does that mean you're going to be traveling out of uh, Rarotonga? I am. It's really scary. (laughs) I'm flying to Brunswick, Maine. We have an office there, and I heard that the mail is piled up to the ceiling, That um, and no one's been in the office for over a year. And also, I'm about to have my ninth grandchild, oh, who will be born there. Congratulations. So they're here with, Congrats. Thank you. They're here, so we're all flying back there, and also for medical reasons, mm. because you'll laugh, being a, an underwater marine biologist and spending my past 30 years um, underwater studying the behavior of whales, I have epilepsy. So I have to go get that all checked out. And yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be underwater, but I live under there. So, (laughs) so yeah, so I'm, I'm having to go. Otherwise I'd stay right here. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, congrats again and let us know how that goes. Your big trip. You're going to like it. You're going to have a good time here. We got plenty of vaccines. You'll come in, you get vaccinated. You're going to have a nice time. That's yeah. And then I'll come back in two months. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And you guys can all come back for whale season. Oh, and we can go find sperm whales too. We have sperm whales here. Do people oh, vacation no, to this? Can you, I mean, I know right now we can't, but it, it, pre all of this, can people vacation to this island? Yes, you can. Okay. Absolutely. Or you can take with me and come out on the boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh. What? When is yes, whaling come- season? Uh, July, August, September, October. Ooh, it's coming up too. I got to do a a joint New Zealand and Rarotonga trip. Well, I don't think you'll be able to get for a little while to because America looks so bad with COVID, but should should open. 
No, no. We'll charm our way. I don't want to brag. Yes, you would. I'm not one to brag on this podcast, but uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand does follow me on Instagram. So uh, she... Whoa. Jacinda does? Yeah. Oh, because she loves Stephen Colbert so much, too. That could be it. I don't know why she follows me. To be honest, it's still one of the greatest, great mysteries of my career. But she, she oh, follows no, she's me. wonderful. Oh, she's the best. Oh, I, she'd fit into this conversation perfectly. Absolutely. Oh Danny, that's like one of the coolest brags I've ever heard. I've got a couple cool yeah. follow. I've got a couple people who follow me who I'm like, man, I have no clue how you got here. <laughs> but I am thrilled and <laughs> so concerned about everything I post because I'm going to lose you. <laughs> Um, okay, well, speaking of, uh, Danny, obviously people should go on YouTube and watch six parts. Um, is there anything else you want to tell people about where they can follow you, where they can find you? Sure, I'll do my plugs. So please, the, the first one is, uh, for the love of God, uh, go on YouTube and watch my special. It, uh, it really means the world to me. If you do, I promise, you know, it's six parts. Hey, there's plenty of, you know, if you don't enjoy it, you'll get out. You, there's plenty of opportunities to leave. But I'm telling you, if you just give it a chance, I think it's a really, really unique special. On top of that, if you follow me on social media, our industry is broken. It helps a lot. Uh, at Danny Jollis, J-O-L-L-E-S, uh, really helps. And then the third and final thing is stand-up comedy is like hockey. It is great to watch on TV, but it's just a different experience live. So many people watch stand-up, they don't go see it. You don't realize what you're missing. So please, just look up your local comedy club. Don't worry about seeing me. Don't worry about seeing whoever. Just go and see live stand-up comedy. You'll have the night of your life, and you will thank me later. Man, mm, not one of, the greatest, one of the greatest brags we've ever had on the program, followed by one of the greatest plugs. I love uh, <laughs> prefacing, <laughs> prefacing your handles with our industry is broken and here's where it's you true. can follow me. <laughs> it's true. I can't tell you how often I'm talking to industry people and they're like, well, how many followers do you have? And I was like, do you, do you care at all about the product or do we just care right, about exactly. this? Yeah, it's really disturbing. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Danny Jollis, ladies and gentlemen, I, you, you got to get on it. He's the man. Hilarious stuff. Always consistent. And uh, and yeah, also love just telling people to go see live comedy. Absolutely agree with that. Which begs the question, what's the Rarotonga comedy scene like? Oh, hmm. <laughs> we don't have stand-up comedy. That's it's something we should look into. You, now you really have to come out here and teach some of the people. I, yeah. I, I could do it. Good sense of humor. Let's open up a club okay. well, out there. We make a date and just send it. We'll get Jacinda to come at the same time, and she will. There we go. All right, so, we're in. We're in. We got a plan here. <laughs> she can okay. do like a great humanitarian speech, and then you can do an hour of comedy. <laughs> that's basically been my career. I, I would say that's been a lot of my career is following people doing actual good things with my silly jokes and it's worked out yeah oh, it's yeah. Out great. especially now make people happy yeah i know yeah. I, let me tell you particularly also as somebody who's been doing zoom comedy for a year oh boy is it fun <laughs> doing it live yeah definitely yeah. um nan you have this documentary i believe you you mentioned earlier on the podcast which is coming to disney plus or it's already out the the, the secrets of the whales if i'm not mistaken secrets well, it is um, coming out on April 22nd, okay. and it's been really fun to work on it. Brian Scary has been a friend of mine for, for, gosh, 30 years or something, and he's a hoot. 
So we have to behave ourselves and we're filming together because we're laughing so much. But it's a fabulous film. It really says wonderful things about whales, which I am really into right now, obviously, having been pushed to safety for 10 and a half minutes by one. <laughs> and um, he's got some great stuff in there, you know, about animals being saved from fishing gear and oh, the stingray being given to him by an orca, things like that. Oh, hmm. um, he filmed a sperm whale in Dominica and a narwhal in the, in the Canadian Arctic nursing. And they use things, uh, you know, like pole cam rigs. and It's really well done and it's very kind and gentle to the animals, which is beautiful. It's, it's accurate. And, you know, with drones these days, you can get amazing things. They were Red Rock films. Um, they were absolutely wonderful to work with. It was for National Geographic and Disney. So, yeah, it's a... Um, four-part series and it'll be Ooh. great on television or on the big screen great secrets okay. of the whales secrets of the whales secrets of the whales. to disney plus uh, i can't wait to watch that yeah sigourney weaver is the narrator so yeah oh, fantastic get. and you know um also as i said we um we work for the love of whales and we have a website that's whaleresearch.org it's just whaleresearch.org and you can read about our project here. And actually, you can see footage and watch what's happening with us on that website. Awesome. So, whaleresearch.org. And my name is Nan Hauser. Yeah. Nan, thank you so much for joining us. People go to whaleresearch.org. I could not get enough of just this morning researching uh, Rarotonga. It just seems like like a Photoshopped, <laughs> uh, designed <laughs> place. Um, it, it looks truly phenomenal. So anyways, thank you so much for, for, for coming on the show. Danny, always great to talk to you. And, uh, and hopefully we'll talk about uh, whales again sometime soon. Okay, but don't forget, you and I are going to talk again about how we're going to stop all this nonsense that's going on with yeah. the ocean. Yeah, let's yeah. solve that real quick. <laughs> we don't have time right now on this show. No. Uh, you know, <laughs> we have to sign off and say bye. But like, as soon as people stop listening, let's just make a plan. Let's make a business plan. Okay. Let's get huge okay. companies involved and just solve this. Because I'm personally sick of it. Me? I'm sick of it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the SXUDiv producer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.